MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, here we go. Pac-12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up, man! This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. Guess what we got? An interview with new Pac-12 commissioner, George Kliakoff. Our week five recap. Things didn't go exactly the way the conference wanted. Actually, or maybe they did. We're going to give our Pac-12 power rankings. Nick Rolovich. There's a countdown going on his job right now. Carl Durrell, Colorado head coach, has to apologize. And, of course, our Week 6 preview and the USC Survivor Series coaching search must go on. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles. The podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans where you get the truth. No sugarcoating. No BS. We keep it 100. So, Ralph, guess we got to start with this week in the conference. Um... Things didn't go exactly the way the conference wanted, or maybe they did, because that Oregon-Stanford game, I am still fuming about it. I know that there were some coaching things with maybe who should have been a quarterback, all of this stuff, and whether they should have gone for it uh, on fourth down before halftime. But the end of the game only magnified the problems with the officiating that have continued to go on And I don't see a world where, like, we can continue on with targeting how it's being officiated with, uh, with the way that the like the Pac-12 is the most penalized Power Five conference, and it's not close. Like, there's a problem, Ralph. I used to think 
that it was all of the stylistic differences that that made the Pac-12 so under officiated. Um, but now every conference has a mix of everything, and so I'm out of excuses. I know that some of the calls at the end of the game, I, I definitely disagreed with. I would have kept the flag in, in, in my pocket, certainly um, uh, before the play that gave them the untimed down in which they tied the game and were able to win it in overtime. Um, I was a little bit confused at the inconsistency of, of, of the targeting calls toward the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, there's not a lot Kayvon Thibodeau could have done uh, differently, and it and and it was sort of um, buttressed by the fact that uh, that Tanner McKee was getting hit from the backside, and that kind of stood him up, and and that that hit ended up being pretty rough. I, I didn't look at that as is intentional. Meanwhile, on the other side, you, you have someone um, taking kind of a big shot at Jalen Red, and just because they missed, just because they didn't connect, even though the intent was there, and if Jalen Red hadn't have been pulling a matrix move, he would have got his head knocked off then they pick that flag up. And so, um, you know, there were things that I was definitely concerned about at at the end of the day, if you're Oregon, if you're the number three ranked team in the country, you got to put Stanford away. You can't fall down 17 to seven. You and I have a, a, a disagreement about whether or not you take the points to make it a one possession game with no time left in the first half. That is something that I would have done is, is, is been able to go into the locker room, look your team in the eye and say, Hey, we're, we're down one possession. You know, um, but then at the same time, if you believe in your team and it goes right, then well, you're still down one possession. That's the thing that I, I understand about the uh, about not kicking the field goal there. But in the second half, they completely dominated. The only drive in which Stanford had any success was aided by several penalties in order to send the game in overtime. Then in overtime, Oregon just didn't get it done. Yeah, and that's uh, that's all I have to say about that. It's not great for the conference well, uh, we've okay. certainly come a long way from one month ago saying that stanford might not win a game um yeah so so well what do you make of the officiating overall because yes there's a new commissioner but it takes a while to figure i mean he's got to get the lay of the land and and all of that but but remember we we've had issues with targeting with washington state and usc even this year we've we've had some other calls and honestly just the targeting in general is making me frustrated as a college football fan because like it's like people who are officiating the game have no idea what it's like to actually play the game because guys are not in general trying to hurt other players they're they're trying to get them down and then the the um the person who's carrying the ball they lower their their head to like impact the other person. And then the guy comes in and hits you with his face mask or there's incidental head contact when you aren't a defenseless person. I, it, it's got to stop somewhere, dude. And why are we holding college players to a higher standard than we hold the pro players? We don't kick pro players out of games. So why would we kick college players out of games when they're not even as good? I think the initial goal was to have a shock value there that would clean things up immediately. And it has cleaned it up. It has, but at the same time, you're still having these instances in which the game is impacted in a major way. I look at it the same way that I look at when coaches sit somebody who fumbles. Like, usually, they never meant to fumble. They didn't mean to fumble the ball. Punishing them is so 
old school and weird. Like you're going to sit them for the rest of the game because they got a ball punched out by an incredibly strong, incredibly yeah. opportunistic it, defender. Yeah. No, get well, them back it, in there. And, if you're not that, using good ball handling skills, which have or or if it's the end of the game and you're like, oh, I don't trust this dude right now, but I'll put him in, put him back in next week or in another sit situation i think that that's different when you lose when he can't be trusted in that game versus you know just just saying you're in a permanent doghouse because you're a fumbler right right and i i agree with you and that's why i'm saying like the best thing to do in that situation would be to try to instill confidence in that player by getting them another rep as quickly as possible and so if you're actually trying to teach these college student athletes a lesson about not targeting, then you don't need a, you don't need a one and done rule. You need like a three strikes situation. Mm. Like it builds up over it's Yes. It's still a 15 yard penalty. Maybe they have to go out for that series, but if they get to two or three, then they get suspended for a game. Well, I'm just a, a one, like a targeting one and targeting two kind of, kind of person. I think that that's the optimal scenario. But if somebody gets like five targeting ones, <laughs> you know? Yeah, where they accumulate. Yeah, oh. and that that's what I'm saying is by the time somebody gets their third targeting, whether it's a one or a two, maybe they lose a whole game. Yeah. Because the, the point is to like, is to teach them. And how, how are you going to learn if you get taken out of the situation? If it's genuinely an issue of being undereducated or not having the right form or whatever, what do you learn from lowering your head on a hit and then not playing football again for six days? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very, very true. It's very true. That's, and that's super reasonable, Ralph. Super, super reasonable. Um, I am looking at the college football landscape in general and the PAC 12 has done something that is, that I absolutely hate, right? So you have Stanford, who's got and Arizona State. And Arizona State played a late game on Saturday, and they have to come back this week, and they play on Friday night. So Stanford plays Arizona State. And Arizona State's ranked. They looked really good against UCLA. And these are the types of scheduling things because you know prior to the season that Arizona State's probably going to be pretty good because of what they have coming back. Like if you're going to put Stanford against anybody, put them against uh, Arizona, put them against, you know, Colorado teams that you're know, know that are going to be bad on a short week after coming back from playing Oregon, which, you know, is going to be a big game. I think it's it's poor planning by the conference. And this is actually one of the things that I talked to George Kliakoff about, which he'll be on in just a few minutes about that go on with the conference and he actually talked about the scheduling component, which is going to be absolutely wild. And you, you, you guys' mind is going to be blown. Um, but now Ralph, you have the conference Oregon seemed to, if they won out would be a surefire college football playoff team. I still think that's true. If they still went out at this point in time, particularly if ASU plays well and they go undefeated and they don't meet until the Pac-12 championship or Oregon State oh, well, and or Oregon State continue to be undefeated until Oregon plays them. And then 
and then you have a double chance because you have Oregon, Oregon State, and on, either one of those teams would have one loss. They go to the they go to the Pac-12 championship and play Arizona State, who has one loss. Or even if yeah, well, UCLA can't win out if Oregon wins. It. So yeah, so nope. So or Arizona State wins out all the all the way, and then they win the Pac-12 championship. Then they're going to be in a position to go to the college football football playoff as well because BYU is doing pretty good. So I, I think the conference still has a legitimate shot at the college football playoff. I just as you were talking, I was imagining the Charlie Day. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, the like red yarn everywhere meme where he's trying to connect all the dots. Yeah. It would be super nice to be a fan of a conference where you just know that if you win the conference, you're going to the college football playoff or be in the SEC and be like, ah, if we win the conference or we're second on our side and we don't even go to the SEC championship game, or if we lose in the SEC championship game, we're probably going to go. Like, it would be really nice not to have to, like, bend your brain and twist it into knots to try to come up with a scenario (laughs) in which your team is going to have some representation at the end of the year. And you bring up the Friday game with Stanford. And and I I thought people made a really good point a few years ago when this started happening, is the weeknight games are for group of five conferences to get some shine. And it's funny that the Pac-12 leaned really hard into the Thursday and Friday games and and all of a sudden is starting to look like a group of five conference. Yep, exactly. Like, like and to, to be well, really clear what I mean by that, University of Arizona lost to Northern Arizona, who turned around and lost to Northern Colorado, whom Colorado barely beat, and Colorado, that's their only win of the year. So we, we have multiple teams in the Pac-12 that would not win the Big Sky. And the Big Sky's not one level down from the Pac-12. It's two levels down from the Pac-12. That'd be talking about, like, if if – Mississippi State was not able to win the SWAC. Oh my <laughs> like, God, bro! That's that's the level we're at with with the bottom of the Pac-12 now. And I think uh, I've always ranted about this. A big part of that is you need these recruits to come out and watch you on Friday. But if you take up one of your home games with a w- with a Friday game, then nobody's seeing it. Nobody yep. at all. And Arizona State, most of all, with their five total commits in this class, one of which is from South Carolina out near me, who's never even visited campus yet. These people actually need to come and visit and see. And they can't do it if they're playing on Friday nights. This was something I asked Larry Scott to his face when he was the commissioner. And he just kind of equivocated about like he equivocated about everything. I am. Could not. I just want to reiterate every single day I wake up. I thank God for all the blessings in my life healthy kids, loving wife, my home, hot water, food on the table, and no more Larry Scott. Yes, agreed. So there are some games, though, that are going to impact the conference this weekend, that ability to make the college football playoff. Obviously, the Stanford-Arizona State game on Friday. But um, you have Temple and Cincinnati. Cincinnati's the wild card. The well, and so is BYU. Like everybody has to be rooting for them to lose, right? Everybody in the conference. If you want to make the college football playoff, Cincinnati needs to lose because they've already beat Notre Dame and they beat Indiana. So, and they and they didn't just beat Notre Dame; they demolished them. So, people are very high on them. So, they're a team that's going to have to get out of the way. Uh, the good news is, is that you have Oklahoma playing Texas, right? This this week in the Red River rivalry. 
And if Texas loses, cool. That means that they're out of it. But then if Oklahoma loses, now Texas is is kind of in the way, too. And I think the only team in the Pac-12 that could pass either one of those at this point in time, it has to be Oregon. Um, you have Ohio State's fine if if uh, if either Oregon wins out or um, Arizona State wins out and then beats Oregon. So or uh, Oregon State, same situation. Um, and then Georgia and Auburn play this weekend. Georgia's going to destroy Auburn. Don't even have to worry about that. But here's a game, Penn State and Iowa, number three versus number four. One of these teams is going to lose. And truthfully, you actually want Penn State to win and dominate. I actually, actually either, either one of them winning and dominating is an optimal scenario. It doesn't matter as long as Ohio State runs through both of them, right? Correct. Exactly. And then you have Michigan and ne- Nebraska, which may be an upset kind of kind of game. So, dude, the, the Pac-12 is not sitting in bad shape right now with the, what? With the ACC being. What? No, I'm saying with the, the Pac-12 is in terrible shape. Oh, no, it's not because there's only is, three ways on. to get to the playoff. Hold, hold that, on. There's only hold three on. ways to get so, to the playoff before let you me, even talk about outside help. No, oh, the, the reason why I said that. I don't not understand a, how you can talk like this after Todd Graham just knocked off Fresno State. That doesn't help anybody. Hold Ralph there. OK, so here is the positive. The ACC is out. Would you would you agree with that? The ACC is out unless. No, Wake there is Forest. no one left. No, if Wake Forest keeps winning. Dude, there's no way. There's no chance that Wake Forest wins all well, the rest of their games. Who? What is there more of a chance of happening? That uh, Oregon State wins out or that Wake Forest wins out? Because it, the thing you're forgetting, George, is Wake Forest gets to play all their games against this ACC. Like, Okay, ACC so they have Syracuse left. Ooh, trap game with Army. Duke, North Carolina, NC State, Clemson, and BC. Dude, there's no way they make it through that un- unscathed. Through but the next seven do, games but, unscathed. But you can't say – but because we're talking about imaginary Pac-12 scenarios, you can't say that the ACC is out because they still have that imaginary scenario. Okay. Okay, cool. I will, I will honor your imaginary scenario. Okay, cool. Wake Forest still – That's it, right? Yeah. Uh, they don't, yep. I don't think looking at – the rest of the conference. No, no. They have uh, Z, um, no other. Oh, Virginia Tech is still um, only has one loss. But yeah, no. So. So, yeah. So, yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> they have nothing else. They have. Uh, oh, they have. NC State, who only has one loss as well, and is ranked. So I guess they technically do still have a chance, but not necessarily an optimal one. And the Big 12, they're going to cannibalize each other because Oklahoma has to play Oklahoma State and Texas. So, yeah. Uh, So there's that. I fully expect one of those three teams to be in, though, at the end of the year. Yes, I do as well, unless you end up with a two-loss conference champion. Like if if they all beat each other round and round, and then yeah. – Yeah, so – Yeah, so – the, the Big 12 is an interesting one because Texas 
is has got really good players, but not everywhere. They have some below yeah. average players that they have to play the entire game at different positions. Oklahoma's weird because everyone's looking at Spencer Rattler saying you're no good. Meanwhile, he's won 13 straight games, which in the last 50 years has only been done by three other Oklahoma quarterbacks. Two other, no, three. Three, and two of those ran the option and threw for a total of 10 touchdowns in their college career. So if he wins against Texas, that'll be 14 straight. He will have equaled what Baker Mayfield did. So, I mean, it. They're, maybe they're not as bad as everybody's saying. Maybe it's just taking some time to get them coached up. The defense isn't great. Whichever one of them comes out of it would be killed by Georgia or Alabama, I'm guessing. But when I look at the Pac-12, I can't even start to think about outside scenarios. The things that you want, you're in a complicated situation with BYU because now BYU's ranked 10th. So you need BYU to lose, but at the same time, you still need them to be good if you are yes. Arizona State. Only, Arizona State is the only school right now that needs to worry about BYU winning, but hopefully not winning too much. It's yeah, a really you, weird situation. To you be in. you want BYU to lose twice, right? You wanted Fresno and State, that, to and run. that's it. Like you want them to finish ten and two. Yeah, you wanted Fresno State to run the table, and it doesn't matter anymore because they didn't. Because Todd Graham did what he always does and wins one really really big game a year, and then. San Diego State doesn't really affect the teams that are in the playoff would be in the playoff hunt for the for the Pac-12 because San Diego State could run the table and you have to wonder if San Diego State runs the table if they end up in the conversation because there's some strong teams in the Mountain West as well Mm-mm. but I have they, a feeling, they didn't they didn't have enough preseason buzz so everybody's yeah. just going to jump jump them which is annoying because they give anybody hell but I look at uh I look at this weekend's games and I'm like BYU might lose this weekend they're the 10th ranked team in the country and they might get got by Boise State. So it's they're on their third string quarterback. Gunnar Romney had a had a concussion and, and you know, they're uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with them, but the the only scenarios that I can see if the Pac-12 is just worrying about themselves is Oregon State wins out. Oregon wins out, gets Arizona State who won out and beats Arizona State. And then a distant third is Arizona State winning out. Yep. Because they are 4-1 and one right now and only ranked 22nd. And I don't think anybody who's been in the 20s five weeks in has ever had a hope at, at making uh, it to the college only, only that um, Ohio State team that won in 2014-2015 season. That's the only one. But they had the, they had the benefit of a, of a more respected Big Ten. Cor- correct. Correct. That they were winning games against. So, you know, Arizona State has like Arizona still on the schedule. Yeah, exactly. They have and USC, Washington State. They have USC, USC. Um, who else? I know UCF. they don't play Oregon, which is no. I don't know if we would consider that to be helpful or, or not at this point. Uh, it's it's helpful to the conference. It's not helpful to Arizona State, but they could get them. So they have Stanford this week. Then they have Utah, Washington State, USC at Washington at Oregon State. Dude, that that's a tough road to hoe right there, bro. So that, at that's Washington what I'm talking about. And so at, and what's at going- Oregon State in back to back weeks after USC? That's going to be tough, dude. So. Uh, Tell me if I'm wrong here. In your head, the perfect scenario is for Arizona State to win all of their games except one. And that game would be at Corvallis because it would still allow them to represent the Pac-12 South. 
It would still mean that they're ranked. It would still make them a 10-win school. And then you would have Oregon have the ability to take on a ranked Oregon State and then take on Arizona State in the Pac-12 championship. So you would get, by the end of the year, you would have wins over double-digit win Oregon State, double-digit win Arizona State and Ohio State. Yep. That is the and, and you and you need Stanford to keep being respectable. Yeah. But not so respectable that they beat Arizona State on Friday. This is convoluted, man. <laughs> yeah. This is a terrible place to be in. Hey, but but we are we we are here and it's fine, Ralph. It is fine. Oh um, it is. <laughs> but don't now, even, there's not even a craft macaroni and red box bowl or whatever. It's <laughs> <laughs> Netflix and Chill Bowl in San Francisco is gone. We we got we're gonna have winning teams that don't even get bowl games. Yep. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, now we are going to be here. My interview with George Kliakoff, Pac-12 commissioner, new Pac-12 commissioner. Um, man, I, I wanted more time with him, though, Ralph, because I had a few more questions. So going to try to get him back on to hit those other questions. But here is what George Kliakoff had to say. George, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
Man, this has been a wild ride. So you become commissioner of the Pac-12. It it seems like that there are some obvious things that need to come in and be fixed or, you know, that are going to mark whether you have a good tenure or a bad tenure. And then here comes name, image and likeness. Here comes conference realignment with Texas and Oklahoma. Were you surprised by how, you know, a whirlwind pace that your, you know, initial few months have been? Well, listen, my, my timing was impeccable. My first day was July 1st, which was the first day of name, image, and likeness, and arguably one of the most seminal dates in the history of college athletics, uh, where student-athletes could get paid for their name, image, and likeness without losing their eligibility. But I'll tell you, I spent June with the previous commissioner going to a bunch of meetings, and going into July 1st, we had the Alston case decided by the Supreme Court. We obviously knew all the state laws were coming in on NIL. And then we had the CFP expansion announcement. And that all happened in the three weeks before I started. And then immediately after I started, the NCAA announced that it was going to have a constitutional convention to decide what the future of the NCAA should look like (laughs) and abdicate some of their existing responsibility and give it back to the conferences and and the uh, schools. And then, of course, we had Texas and Oklahoma, and that led to all the alignment talk, and for us, it it ended up in the partnership that we announced with the Big Ten and the ACC. Um, but it was a whirlwind, and in the middle of all of this, I'm trying to visit all of our schools and get to know all the constituents. Yeah, and the alliance which you guys formed with the ACC and the Big Ten is a handshake agreement. It's a partnership, you know, to do right by student athletes and by. Uh, and by the game and well, the game of football and all the rest of the sports as, as well. And that's great and all that, but to play devil's advocate, I guess, how does that impact or what is going to change for the average fan or the average season ticket holder or pac 12 fan of football, baseball, basketball, or any of those sports? Yes, listen, it's a great question. Uh, I think the scheduling piece of the alliance is what got the most attention, but that's probably our third priority of the three priorities we set for the alliance. The first is to work together um, to help each other be better in how we think about supporting student-athletes. So that's mental and physical health, career development, leadership training, diversity, equity, and inclusion, all the things that we do on a day-to-day basis to support our athletes, we're going to partner with the ACC and Big Ten to be better at doing. The second piece is to think collectively about how we address all those big issues we talk about, name, image, and likeness, Alston fallout, the NCAA, CFP, and how we do that, not in a voting block, we haven't agreed to vote together, but, but to work together to think through what's in the best interest of Uh, the collegiate model and student athletes when we're thinking through those big issues. And then we'll each independently vote every time a vote comes up. Um, And then finally was the scheduling piece. And that's where the rubber's going to hit the road for the fans of the Pac-12. We're going to start scheduling more of these other conferences in our non-conference play in every single one of our sports. Uh, The goal for football is eventually for each conference to get to a place where it's playing eight conference games. So uh, our Pac-12 schools would play eight Pac-12 games. They play one game against the ACC, one game against the Big Ten every year. One of those would be home. One would be away. It would switch year to year. Uh, and then they'd have two other games they could schedule for themselves to ensure they want to have um, seven home games. 
And what I would say about it is it's a different approach to college football scheduling. When I came into the sport, first thing I looked at was the fact that we've got uh, all the teams scheduling games 10 to 15 years out. And that doesn't make any sense. The Thank reason you. they're doing it is because other teams have done it and there's fear of missing out and having no one to play. When you have a guaranteed relationship, you can wait until the end of the previous season and then create really interesting matchups in the moment. So uh, I think it's better to be scheduling football games eight months out, not 12 years out. And that'll be one of the things we'll be able to accomplish. Thank God some somebody came in with a good idea because as a college football super fan and a, as a former player, I could never understand, like, why would you schedule so far out? Because but the pandemic proved that you can make 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 a game in a week. So we don't need 10 years out in advance. Um, but you talked about the college football playoff, the expansion, that part of the alliance and and whether there's a voting block and all of that. And there, the 12-team playoffs seem to be, you know, moving, picking up steam, which I hated it because then three teams get buys, and this is football, so it decreases the chance of upsets, and people get hurt, all of that. I don't like the 12-team. I think you either think it needs to be 8 or 16, but that's neither here nor there. But the idea, though, that the SEC was going to try to line up to get four or five teams in the playoffs, why? the halt on the playoff talk and the expansion and what do I guess you think the best model is and are you in favor of playoff expansion? 100% in favor of playoff expansion as is everyone else that sits in the CFP room. I just got back from Chicago where we had a couple days of meetings talking about CFP expansion. Everybody in the room is in favor of expansion. Everybody in the room is in favor of doing it sooner rather than later. The, the issue with uh, the 12-team expansion proposal is not that it's bad. It, at the margins, there are some issues about it. What happened was that that was a group of four of the 11 people that have to vote yes coming up with that model, and they did really good work over two years. I think the mistake that we made was it was announced to the public the same time it was shown to the seven people who were not in the room. And if all 11 people have to approve something, it strikes me like the best thing to do is get all 11 people to agree to something and then announce it publicly. So there are folks in the room who would prefer eight. There are folks in the room who would prefer 12. There's some work to be done to come to a consensus, but I'm confident that we'll get there. But what I don't want to do is be negotiating this in public. I think the right thing to do is for the 11 people that have to say yes to agree. And then we'll announce it publicly, and that should have been done uh, instead of announcing in June a proposal that had not been fully vetted. I think we misset our fans' expectations, and I think that was a mistake. Uh, but you should know that everyone's in favor of expansion and expansion sooner rather than later. So what could that possible I guess the expansion look like because when you when you don't necessarily have a consensus and you have people who want automatic bids, people who don't want autom automatic bids, are, are you looking at it from a a what's best for the Pac-12 or what's best for you think is college football as a whole? I think the first approach for everyone in the room has to be what's best for college football and college sports as a whole. 
And, you know, as part of that, they have to set aside some of their partisan desires. Uh, you, you know, you think about that stuff because you're paid to think about that stuff. But if everyone is not willing to compromise a little bit, you can't get there. And the history of this has been when the BCS was created and then um, the CFP was created. There were compromises. And uh, we have a long history of kind of everyone compromising a little bit to get to where they need to be for the betterment of the entire sport. And I'm hoping that will happen here. We're certainly very flexible and willing to compromise a lot on things that are important to us uh, for the, for the better uh, kind of higher purpose of college football and, and the student athletes and the fans. I think the current model is broken in the current model where you have four teams, we have 3% of our student athletes in football being able to compete for a national championship in every other sport that we administer, it is somewhere between 18 and 25% of our student-athletes get to compete for their championships. Our student-athletes and our fans want our kids to be able to compete for those championships, and the current model is broken. We have to fix it. Yeah, and one of those things that has been announced is the uh, the – the changes that are going to be made in college basketball specifically for the women using the March madness name. And you know, there being equity there because it's one of those, if you build it, they will come because they signed a $500 million deal with ESPN and the ratings are up and all of that. So people clearly want to watch it. So how big of a focus is that to elevate women's sports where some of them are even revenue generating in women's basketball, and to to make it a equitable situation there with basketball season just around the corner. Well, a couple, couple of thoughts. The first is I was fortunate in my previous job to oversee the Las Vegas Aces, the WNBA franchise, and sit on the WNBA Board of Governors uh, when we renegotiated the collective bargaining agreement, which really was in favor of, of the athletes of the WNBA. Uh, I think anyone who's not a women's basketball fan is someone who has not seen the game yet. It's incredible, and I think you're starting to see that reflected in the ratings uh, for both college and professional women's basketball. Uh, I'll remind you that the gender equity issues that were raised at the uh, you know March tournaments last year uh, were the result of a Pac-12 student-athlete uh, tweeting out uh, kind of what her experience was at the Final Four as compared to her male colleagues. We're, we're proud of that. Uh, it started a gender equity review program at the NCAA, and the result of that was a report that came out about three weeks ago suggesting some changes to how we think about uh, women's sports and per- particularly women's basketball. Uh, we've reviewed that report. We're in favor of almost every suggestion in that report, and that started with allowing uh, the use of the March Madness uh, logo and mark, which has so much value to be applied not just to the men's game, but to the women's game as well. We think that's really smart. We're working with our NCAA colleagues to implement as many of those recommendations as possible. But I think women's basketball is one of the great growth sports in college athletics. And um, that's really, really good for the Pac-12 because we dominate women's basketball. Uh, final final question for you. Um, the Pac-12, I think, has suffered from an availability problem because if you're not visible as 
much as the other conferences are with the Pac-12 networks versus the ACC, SEC, and Big Ten net networks, then that's a problem. And there was a uh, and you've basically said that they're kind of that there's not a lot that can be done until 2024. Is there stuff going on but behind the scenes? And are there any other kind of internet partnerships or streaming partnerships that can be made that can you know get the availability up right now? So uh, the Pac-12 is unique because today we have the only Power Five conference schools in the Mountain and Pacific time zone. And that's, you know, a quarter of the population of the United States. Uh, and as a result, we can fill a time um, kind of slot for television that no other Power 5 school can fill, which is primetime West Coast. Uh, the issue is when you play at night, the folks who are on the central and eastern time zones may not get to stay up for the whole game or may not even get to see any of the game. And that applies not just to fans, but it applies to AP voters, CFP uh, committee voters, Heisman Trophy voters, and that's a concern. So uh, we get paid more to play those games. We would get paid less if we played games earlier in the day and could not fill that time slot. Um, so it's a trade-off. It's a balance of wide distribution of your product, competitive advantage against revenue. And our current contracts, uh, unfortunately, preclude us from the flexibility of choosing to move games earlier almost all the time. There's some exceptions at the margins when we play games on the Pac-12 network, but ESPN and Fox get the first choice of which of our games they, they put on, and they often want to play those games at night to fill that really, really important time frame for them. Uh, we'll get a chance to relook at that and rebalance um, our decisions about how to trade off revenue for exposure and competitive advantage when we renegotiate our media rights contracts in the next couple of years. But under the current contract, I'm, I'm not allowed to give away for free games. I'm not allowed to move games to earlier in the day for the most part. Uh, I'm not allowed to um, distribute the content other than with our existing distributors. And it's the biggest frustration for me. And I hear it on my Twitter feed from, from our <laughs> fans every single day, but most of the time on, on Saturdays. And I wish there was something more I could do, but I've inherited these contracts. We'll, we'll work through them over the next couple of years, and we'll fix that balance. All right. You guys, he is George Klievkoff, man with the great first name, um, Pac-12 commissioner. Uh, George, thanks for coming on and being so gracious with your time. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Ralph, what did you think about what uh, the the man with the great first name had to say? I appreciate his honesty. Um, I don't appreciate the honesty, but I appreciate his honesty. Does that make sense? No. I don't like the truth, but I appreciate that he tells it to me. Yeah. Oh, dude, the thing the thing he said about the the network deals. Yes, that's it. What I'm just it made me want to punch Larry Scott. Like you left yourself no wiggle room. You let yourself get litigated to no options. And George is sitting there like, bro, I wish that there was something I could do, but I I, I can't. I and it's frustrating me too. That was the that was the scariest part about it, is that Larry Scott was such so bad that even the contract language prohibits the next person from Fixing his mess. Yeah. I I do not want to punch Larry Scott in the face because that would include being in the same room as him. And I'd rather not do that. So what oh, but but the best thing I thought that George said was about the scheduling, right? Yeah. Dude, I was like, finally somebody gets it. Instead of scheduling games out five, ten years. Schedule them eight months away. Do you realize that that means that we're going to get fantastic matchups that we're going to get like Oregon, Ohio State or Oregon, Michigan, and then USC, like whoever the best teams are, you're going to get some of those matchups every single year. And then you'll get, you know, Arizona will get the luxury of playing like Rutgers or actually Rutgers is better now. So. But uh, I don't know who Arizona – who could Arizona play in the Big Ten right now? Um, They could play uh, – I want to say Purdue, but Purdue – Florida State. State. They, it could play Florida State. That's not in the Big Ten. Wait, who are you Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Because – well, well there, there's Big Ten and there's AACC. Sorry. So, I was thinking that they could – that Arizona in the Big Ten, that they could play Indiana, who's bad – this year they could play you're talking about a team that lost to nau dude i don't know but i do i do agree with you that it's but but how how can you actually exercise any control over the schools that have already scheduled games out to 2035 
do those just go away? Yes. The, 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 those are going to have to go away, bro. Because here's the here's the thing is that George and all the other conference commissioners said, though, we're we're not going to break our existing contracts. But you're going to have to. Like, how can you honor all these games that are scheduled so far out? How is that? How is that possible? Yeah, that's my question. I don't know. I I, it's corny anyway. I don't understand. I, I always see people post articles about it. Um, I always see people post articles about it, like they even know if they're going to be alive when it when it comes up. Yeah, Dude, Oregon has knows? Oregon has Ohio State scheduled again in twenty thirty two and twenty thirty three. Are you kidding me? We're talking twelve years from now. Why the hell is that game even scheduled? In twenty thirty, they have Michigan State. In twenty twenty nine. They have Michigan State as well. Uh, yeah, dude, th- this is absolute insanity because, like, that's the thing that made me not believe something that they said because I was like, how can it be true? Like, how are you going to do a quote-unquote scheduling alliance when all of these teams have already had – they already have, you know um, – schedules until uh, until Jesus returns. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think that that's what makes me feel like it's it's very possible that it's lip service, but I don't I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. I think I think that if the alliance I should have asked him that question, dude, because it, but it just dawned on me right now that you have games scheduled so far out. How are you going to not break your existing contracts until you are until twenty thirty three? Right. So you want them to schedule them on short notice, and then you want them to be against people who are part of the alliance. And you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work out. I like that he has an idea, but without the ability to enforce it it's just a it's just a suggestion right how do you get people to buy into this because at the end of the day everybody's just a lobbyist for their own self-interest so they're gonna try to make the games that make the most sense for them so maybe sometimes you just need to justify your paycheck so you could justify your paycheck by scheduling a game 15 years from now go home and feel like you did work today (laughs) <laughs> even though that game is like the uh the avoidable years on the back of Taysom Hill's contract um <laughs> but um n- now let's finish talking about week five because there were some interesting games in the conference and some weird results can you tell us what what we're doing right now with with the picks and the gambling and all that so you did not increase your lead. Damn it. Uh, but your your lead is still pretty ridiculous. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to catch up over the course of the rest of the season with only five games at a time. But you were sitting against the spread. You're sitting at 27 and 18. And um, what, do, what do they say? You need to get if you if you're gambling the same amount of money every time, what do you need to get like 55 percent of picks right to ultimately turn a minimal profit or something like that? Yep. Yeah, I think you're well above that threshold. Um, 
So you're doing really well there. I am not. Uh, I did go three and two this last week. You went two and three. I'm now at 20 and 25. Um, You went two, two and one against the spread. Uh, (laughs) And I also went two, two and one. We both have two ties and we're actually pretty close here. I might actually have a shot at you. Um, I need to go back and tally throughout the season because for some reason I have you at 22, 19 and two and me at 21, 22 and two. Which, that sounds odd. yeah, I don't, I think you, you're, I think what I did was I didn't put your losses in at some point or something like that. I think you're 22, 21 and two. I think we're one game separated okay. on the over under, but I have to go all the way back and figure out where I did my math wrong. And trusting me with the math was a great idea. I'm a foolish <laughs> Um, but but the the moral of the story is you are currently um, sitting at 27 and 18 uh, in picks against the spread for the Pac-12 conference, which I think is 60 percent. You're picking 60 percent winners, uh, which is a really hard thing to do that. Some people get paid to to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, you didn't have the best week last week, but. It's uh, I think we're getting to the point where we're a lot more familiar with the teams. And if you also have to account for the fact that a lot of your losses come from just picking Oregon, no matter what the spread is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, when have you picked against Oregon to, to not cover? I thought that they were going to cover, bro. Like it they, might, it could have been 11 billion and you'd have been like, I <laughs> know I wouldn't have. No, I wouldn't have. No, I wouldn't have, dude. You 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 you, you lost out this week. You lost out last week on the twenty eight and a half. Um, I think they might have covered against Stony Brook, but almost didn't. But I, what I'm telling you is, I don't think the spread matters. I think you're going Oregon regardless. Well, um, I, I l- listen. I won't be picking Oregon this week, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> Real what? cute. The dad the dad jokes should have ended on on October fourth with all the ten ten four good buddy stuff. It's October fifth. We're we're taking a break from the dad jokes. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> if you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing dirty sports scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics. Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so the games that were very notable in, well, actually all the games in the conference, so we will go over those. The first one we're going to go over is, well, I guess, guess, what did you have anything else that you wanted to add on the Stanford-Oregon? Because I thought that there was a interesting question that was put out, and you guys can hit us up, 818-293-7547. That's 818-293-7547. So the question was, if you had one game to win in the Pac-12, who would your quarterback be? Who would you pick, Ralph, if you had Hmm. one game to win? That's a really good question. Um, not knowing anything else, like not knowing any anybody else on the team, nothing who you're playing, none of yeah. that. Yep. Uh, I might go Jaden Daniels because he's got a win over a top ten Oregon. He's got two wins over Michigan State. And it's not it's it's a matter of limiting mistakes because I, I can't if the only thing that I can factor in is who my quarterback's gonna be, then I wanna know somebody who's not at the end of the day isn't gonna cost me. And DTR might be my choice otherwise, or maybe even Tanner McKee, but there's not enough data on Tanner McKee, and I would say that DTR has proven that there are times where he'll cost you. Um Jane Daniels is the only guy that I know that is either gonna be a net neutral or a net positive. Yeah, even even if it's a small one, right? Yeah, like it. Yeah, you you just need somebody who's for sure not going to be a saboteur. Yes, which is which is hard to find right right now because I was thinking about that, and I would have said Chance Nolan until the Washington game where he was brutal, bro. Hey, I know that you and I know that you like a good. I told you so, and so I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, that I, I told you, <laughs> I, to, I, I mean, I, I do not, I'm not a believer in Oregon state or chance Nolan based on the fact that they got to go up against USC. Um, at the same time, good Lord. I'm sure at some point we're going to get into it, but I don't have a whole lot of positive to say about Washington and Jimmy Lake right now. Mm, mm. All right. But to, in that Oregon thing, the last thing I want to say is like, good luck to Bryson Tremaine with his rehab. Cause that sucked. That was horrible to see. Yep. Dude, he's been their best player. Yeah. It, dude, and this team, this Oregon team is tremendously injured. Tremendously injured. And there there are people yeah. that watched. And if, and if you didn't know, they were without their offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead. He flew down to Santa Clara to the game, ended up needing emergency surgery, and he's still there as of yesterday in there 
recovering. So they had to unexpectedly play with that without their offensive coordinator. Their starting center is out. Um, Bennett Williams is out for the year, likely. Justin Flo is out for the year. You had um, Funa went down. Yep, Mace M- Funa got got hurt. Alex Forsythe, the starting center, gone. Um, yeah, and then by the time the game was over, CJ Verdell's out for the year. You have a couple other injuries. Dude, the amount. Um, oh, Adrian Jackson, a starter on or a big contributor on defense, he didn't play. Dude, they were at, at one point in time they had multiple walk-ons on the field. Yeah, that's like this team is devastated with injuries right now. It's tough, and and they you know they didn't. Anthony Brown is what he is. He's okay, and he made. So, do you think that they really should change players. quarterbacks? I be, because I do. I think that n- no matter it's such who a weird situation because you are obviously close to the program, and it takes some guts. To, I feel like to be where you're at and to say that because there's people within the program who look up to you. Meanwhile, I've covered Ty Thompson since his sophomore year in high school, and I don't feel the same way. I, I think he needs a little more time. Could he be ready? Sure. Um, well, I, I, love I, to watch I think play, worst yes. case that, that, that you have to play him some. Yeah. He'd be the, you put him in, he'd be a top four quarterback in the conference right now. But then again, that's how I think of Anthony Brown is probably the number four quarterback in the conference right now. Gee. And the thing about Anthony Brown though, is this, is that he is a kid who has, He's not going to like like the house is not going to burn down with with him in charge. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he he doesn't turn the ball over aside from that ridiculous interception he threw against Stanford. But like he's a he's what the the game manager slur was was made for. <laughs> like he, um and it is and Oregon <laughs> is if Oregon couldn't run the football so well, like they would have big time trouble because Stanford safeties were sitting at like seven yards at the end of the game. And Oregon was still running the football very, very well. That's all they did in the second half. And then he could not, he can't threaten the defense because he can't hit deep passes. So, and, and put them in catchable locations. So then it becomes like a boa constrictor on your offense. And when you play a better team that can score, you're you're going to have problems. Yeah, which is why – that, and that's one of the main reasons why I wanted them to take the points at the half. Now, I saw a lot of people complaining about the broadcast. What did you think about that, that the broadcast quality was out of whack? That the quality or the fact that Rod Gilmore was on the game? No, no, not the not the call. I, I know how you feel about Rod Gilmore. No, I meant the actual broadcast quality. That was that that was all over social media during the game. Was that 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 they felt like uh, that they were using the old timey cameras to to broadcast this game? Dude, I don't know, but like, I, I guess I was so frustrated during the game, I didn't know your vision. You are you, your vision was already blurred a little bit from, yeah, out of frustration. Yeah, yes, dude, and <laughs> and and I had had about probably I had opened up a 
a bottle of uh, special reserve Camus. <laughs> like, dude, dude, I was so stressed. My my wife was like, hey, yo, um, hey, G, G, well, why don't uh, we get some wine? So, OK, cool. Dude, I went in there and I just picked up the first bottle I, I, I saw. $200 bottle of wine I finished during, <laughs> during the game. <laughs> I, I tell you what, like, I didn't understand the complaints because, A, I remember what life was like before HDTV. And so, you know, it, it'd be like complaint to me, it'd be like complaining about a flight. Like, I, I remember, like, driving long distances in the car. This is no matter how inconvenient this is, this is still a million times more convenient. And also, at the same time, I watch so much high school football and huddle film that there is literally no way to show me poor enough broadcast quality for me to not oh yes yes dude or 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 watch nfhs oh my nfhs nfhs is for for people who don't know it is the uh broadcast partner of high schools where where they have like a revenue share uh situation with the high schools to be able to stream games on their website live but they use student filmers to film these games don't even update the scoreboard on them for most of them there's no commentary and 50 percent of the broadcasts go out five minutes in it is the word and that's how i watch most football (laughs) it's on either nfhs or youtube or on huddle so people were talking about like the broadcast being fuzzy for that game i was like are you kidding me (laughs) this is the this is the greatest broadcast i've ever seen you know it's not i don't know i just saw a lot of people complaining and it didn't it didn't bother me that much yeah, and, and dude, I watch it, dude. And you just watched my, my son's game last week, or part part of it, dude. They, the Chiron was wrong. The oh yeah, and that's, it's never right ever. Yeah. Um. All right. So the next game up, because we have been accused of missing games, we will not miss games, even though we didn't miss a game. Um. Uh, you had USC at Colorado. People were, I remember this was an 11 o'clock Pacific kick and I turned it on when it first came on, but there there was never any doubt about what was going to happen in this game. Not because Colorado's defense couldn't slow USC down, which they didn't at all. It was 37 to 14, but I knew Colorado's offense was not going to make it happen at all. And, but you did have Brendan Lewis set a 2021 high in passing yards. He threw for a whole 162 yards, which is 62 yard, yards higher than his previous high. And so he's in five who games. Is, who is he's, his opponent? USC. There you go. <laughs> he has finally, for the second time this year, he's passed for over 100 yards. So, and this may have been Colorado's season high for yards. So, you know, I guess things are going in the right di- direction for Shiverini, right? Oof. Um, I really like Darren Shiverini. Um, he has been there. And, you know, a Colorado fan, I I would like to think that Colorado fans are conflicted about calling for his firing because without his continuity, they would be in even worse shape because they wouldn't have been able to retain some of the talent that they did through two different coaching transitions. Um, But at the end of the day, you got to be able to move the ball. And while I believe that Brendan Lewis has a future in this conference, um, the more he puts on film where they're not able to move the ball down the field, the more of a problem it becomes. 
and they just don't throw the ball much. You know, it's like they, they don't trust him. They don't have a single receiver on the roster with 70 yards receiving. And we're four weeks into the season. So that's very bad <laughs> for everybody. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how much I blame Darren Chiverini or how much I blame JT Shrout's knee getting shredded up or how much I blame uh, not being able to, you know, firing one coach, not being able to retain another it's tough. The whole situation's tough. What did you think of uh, Carl Durrell's reaction to the loss by uh, pushing a, a, a guy's camera out of his hands? Dude, that was ultimate frustration, right? I yeah, mean, it's not even like it's not what the guy wasn't even like being paparazzi. He was just standing stationary. It was like Carl Durrell ran yeah. up to him with the purpose of interfering with. He was so mad, dude. Do you realize how mad that you have to be because everybody else is upsetting USC and you're like, we suck so bad, we can't even. We weren't even close. It. Do, do you realize how frustrating it must be to sit on that sideline for three and a half hours, four hours every weekend, and you maybe hope that something's different, and then you re- realize, oh wait, never mind, nothing's going to be different. Oh man, he's out there living the life of a COVID nurse on the sideline of just like, oh, another day of watching things go to shit. Like, I I remember when they kicked that first field goal to end their 24 straight drives without, um, without any points against Arizona State. The look on his face was relief. And it, it made me feel bad for him. It made me feel bad for that whole program because I know they got some really talented guys there, whether it's Mark Perry or Nate Landman or, you know, I, I really like Brendan Rice. I think their pair of running backs are fantastic. Um, you know, I, they're they're like eight years deep into not being able to use the tight end. They definitely have some deficiencies. Okay. They got a very young quarterback. There's a lot of stuff wrong with them, but like, okay, how many same points time, per they game? Score. How many points per game do you think that they're averaging? 10? Nope, 13.8. That's terrible. Okay, how many points do you think they're giving up every game? 24? Yep, well, 23.8. Oh, wow. Okay. You're giving up 10 more points than you are uh, allowing. But that gets rough because it's just out of your reach. But they're not the worst, though. They're not the worst in point differential, though. Um, Arizona is averaging 17 <laughs> points per game, but give but is giving up 31. Okay. So they they have a 14 point differential. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Are we still in the process of giving Colorado credit for holding Texas A and M to very few points? Or- no, because their quarterback stinks clearly. But yeah. well, actually, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no. Because ever since then, they have given up 30 to Minnesota, 35 to Arizona State, and 37 to USC. So, so no, that was – and then they – yeah, that, that was an outlier, dude. That was an outlier re- result. Um, but what do what did you see out of USC from this game? Because the thing I saw was is that Drake London is damn good. Like that was the that that was all I saw from the from this game was Jake London. Yeah, um, Drake London at one point was calling for the football from the, um, I believe it was like the boundary side of the play, 
they ran a no huddle. Uh, they had a failed end zone play. And then he started yelling for the ball. And then Keaton Slovis threw him the ball at a place where only he could get it. He caught it with one hand. Actually, he couldn't even get it. Like it was. Yeah, no, that it. The craziest thing to happen this weekend was for that to maybe not be the best catch in the Pac-12. Like that's completely absurd. That that I I've been arguing with myself for three days now on whether or not that or the Calvin Jackson catch was better. I even put a poll up, and and I think more people went with Drake London just because of the um, name recognition. But to me, they were the same. They're both the catches of the year that happened in the same day. But Drake London, it's the fact to the thing that set it apart was the fact that he was calling his shot. He was calling for the ball when it happened, and. Who who comes to mind for you when you when you think of like somebody's like, hey, throw me the ball right now. It doesn't matter who's on me. Just do it. Oh, that 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 is a a big time wide wide receiver. Big yeah, time. The only the only comps that would even pop into your head are NFL Hall of Famers. Yep. And, no, you are you are definitely right about that. He he high points the ball. He understands his body, and I think that's a two-sport thing. I really do. I think that that's overblown in a lot of different cases, but in his, you see it. If you understand basketball, and you were you played two sports, you thought about playing two in college. Yep. It factors in as a receiver. It does. Oh, for sure. For sure. It it definitely does. Um, all right. So, oh, well, I actually, I guess in this USC team, what do you make out of them? Like, did, did you gain anything from this? Because this was the first game that they've been able to run the football. They ran for over 200 yards. I can't even remember the last time that that, that, that happened. And like, have they found their, their stride or is just Colorado that bad? Um, I do not think that they have because they still don't have it's it's weird. It's there's a, there's people playing that that didn't think that they were going to be playing much this year because no Brew McCoy, no Jake Smith. Um, Taj Washington is not contributing as often as I thought that he would uh, when the season opened. I thought he was going to be the breakout star in the conference. Drake London is who he is. Uh, they don't have playmakers at the running back position, and it's easier to rack up the yards when you're. When, when you've built a lead like that, um, you know, that we, we keep making fun of the air raid as an offense, but if you look at the NFL, Cliff P- Kingsbury has found a way to, to make the air raid something that actually sets up the run and make the run the most important part of your offense. And, I mean, part of that is having an extremely mobile quarterback who, who keeps the defense on their toes um, so that you can run all sorts of different plays for, for d- different backs out of different sets. But, you know, that's not where this USC offense is yet. It's Colorado. I wouldn't get too excited about any win. I know that it's pretty common to vacillate back and forth. I'm like, ah, USC's terrible. Oh, they, they might have a chance. I think that everybody should look at USC as uh, like an old aging UFC fighter. Of like, if I do what I'm supposed to, I'll probably win. But this is still a UFC fighter. They're still dangerous. They've still been in a lot of battles. So I can't make mistakes. So you have to take USC seriously. But if you do, you're going to win. And that just goes to show that how far they've fallen as a as a brand and a school. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good point, dude. Very very good point. All right, the next game up, you had. Uh, Washington State at Cal, and Cal's 
defense and offense are really bad right now. And Washington State is significantly better with Jaden Delora at quarterback. Like he's he's the guy who can make things go. But uh, he finished 25 or 41 for 219, three touchdowns, two picks, though, um, versus Chase Garbers, who I mean, like on one hand, I think this Washington State defense actually might be pretty good. Um, but they're giving up 25 points a game. So I'm not sure, like, like, is Cal bad on offense or is Washington State better than we thought on defense? Uh, I, I remember, remember when there was that narrative that Washington State's defense, uh, was given up on Rolovich and I pushed back against that and I said, no, I just think it's a, a like a stamina and depth thing. Yeah. I saw them come out, do the same thing. Only this time, they didn't let the game slip away. So they're evolving. Oh, do you know what they started doing after halftime? Hmm. They started warming up again after halftime. Like, you know how how teams do like a little quick stretch? This is the first time under Nick Rolovich that they've done that. Like a quick stretch after halftime. Yeah, they they uh, they I think they were blitzing people out of the secondary as well. So to to keep things fresh, Brennan Jackson had a couple of sacks. He's been good this year. Um, I like Justice Woods. I, I I think they're okay. They're okay defense. I think they're an average defense. Six to seven in the Pac-12 is where they should be ranked. Um, here's the difference in this game for me: Max Borgie and Dion McIntosh had a total. Of 27 touches. Okay. Chris Street and Chris Brown and Damian Moore for Cal had a total of, I don't know, 18? 17, 18? Yeah. Cal needs they they needed to be running the ball. They needed to establish the run. They Chris Street averaged six point four yards per carry. Chris Brown averaged five. I don't know what's going on with um, DeCarlos Brooks. I don't know why he he's not playing right now. But they they had the ability to run the ball, but they feel like they get behind and they need to get it all back with Chase Garbers. And the truth is, he's not. That's not him. He he's not a play from behind guy. He's not a bring you back guy. He's a manage the offense type of guy. Set him up for success. He'll be able to make some big throws here and there. Um, they've got decent receivers. I, I don't honestly. I just don't know what's going on with them. I will say they were the best dressed team in in the entire Western U.S. I love the all midnight blue matte helmets, whole uniform. I've never seen a team look so good while getting their ass kicked. <laughs> But it, I don't know. It just, it's very helpful to have a mobile quarterback the way that Washington State does. And Chase Garbers is mobile, but I don't know. I don't know, man. It, he was sacked four times. He, okay. Okay. So what do you make of this team? Because Washington State is averaging 23 points a game while they are giving up 25 points a game. Washington State, you said, is averaging 23 points a game? Yep. Well, I mean, I think you have a competitive team with Jaden Delora and you don't otherwise. I think that Nick Rolovich's offense, 
I thought would be more effective. Um, Calvin Jackson's a good receiver. Travell Harris is a good receiver. They have two good running backs. I thought the offense would be more explosive and more effective, but I don't think any quarterback on this roster is fully healthy, and maybe that has something to do with it. What's crazy is Nick Rolovich was used to going back and forth between quarterbacks in Hawaii, so this is nothing different for him to have the system established and and built around different guys. It's just that in this case, you have one guy that's so much better in this offense than anybody else is. Um, I think Washington state is an incredibly dangerous team. If they're not going to be breaking down in the second half, like they were because they're, they're a team that just over the last two seasons, um, they've, they've managed victories over several, um, of the teams within the uh, within within the Pac-12, they you know over the last few years they've found ways to be in some of these games, um, and and I know that it's different personnel for the most part. They, Max Borg has been there forever, um, but I, I think they're a threat against anybody, especially in Pullman. And I think Cal, there's no reason Cal should have lost that game, but if they're going to lose by more than one touchdown, I think the rest of the Pac-12 needs to wake up to the fact that if you don't take Washington State seriously, they might get you. Oh, for sure. Yep. And Cal came into the game averaging, you know, like 27 points a game, 28 points a game, and now they're down to 24-2 while they are giving up 27.6 points per game. So, so wait, can you tell me again what, what Cal is averaging per game this year? Uh, they are averaging, they're scoring 24.2 points per game. Okay. So, oof. And how would you feel if you were a Cal fan? 27.6. How would you feel if you're a Cal fan and you n- watching Sonny Dykes beat TCU, who you lost to, you're watching Sonny Dykes get SMU to the point where they're basically like the ranked. And you went from scoring 37 points a game in the year that Sonny Dykes stepped down to this. These are, this is Justin Wilcox's tenure. Yeah. 28 points a game in 2017, 22 points a game in 2018, 22 points a game in 2019, 20 points a game in 2020. And now 24 points a game in 2021 at the early part of the season coming off scoring six for the first time in nine years. It's been nine years since they were held under seven points. That's wild, dude. But but they, but you also have to trade that for the worst defense in NCAA. So, I mean, which made his tenure untenable as well. Um, But it is interesting though, that Cal's piling up a lot of yardage. They're only, they're sixth in the league, though, in yards per game at over 400 yards a game. But then, but then when you, but then they're not able to punch it in because they're fourth worst in the conference. Uh, so they're ninth in the conference in total points per game, despite being sixth in yards per game. Yeah. I will say quietly, Daniel Scott's having a very good season on defense for them. He's got three interceptions, and we, you know we, there hasn't been a lot of reason to talk about Cal's defense because their offense isn't keeping them in these games and long enough to win. Um, but I, I don't know. This, this is a very boring, nondescript team, and 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 one of the things about not even being exciting at all and losing is that will get your fan base 
a, a typically pretty apathetic Cal fan base, even though the, the Cal diehards are probably my favorite fan base in the entire Pac-12 because they're just, especially on the message boards and stuff, they're really cool people. And, and, and I, I, I want their team to be successful. I feel like the Pac-12 is more fun when they are. Uh, but the, if you're not giving anybody anything to be excited about, then they're, they're going to be done with you. And this might, this might be it. Yep. This might be it for Justin Wilcox, because if you think about it, George, it seems is, weird because he wasn't on the, the hot seat coming into the season. Like there was nothing about his seat that, that, that was hot, but it feels like something's going wrong. I don't think that they're going to fire him. I mean, unless they go like one in 11, but is there any fourth year? head coach in the Pac-12 that would be able to have an excuse for going two and seven over their last nine? No. Fourth okay. year? No. No. He's in his fourth year, and they are two Ooh. and seven over their last nine. Oh, that's tough, dude. That's tough. See, he's he's going to have to, like, you expect this team to be a bowl team. Like, just worst case scenario, you, you, you finish six and six, you make a bowl. Like, and but you and expect it, him to be seven and five, though. Right. And I feel like he saved his job with the way that he closed out 2019. Because if you remember, you could you could say that he's two and seven in his last nine, or you could go back even further and say that he is six and 12 in his last 18. Because he had that stretch in 2019 where they lost to Arizona State as a ranked team. Then they got held to seven by Oregon. Then they got beat by Oregon State. Then they got blanked by Utah. And then they had a win over Washington State before losing to USC. The way they closed that season out was to beat Stanford at Stanford, beat UCLA at UCLA, and beat Illinois in the Red Box Bowl. So a lot was forgiven that they ended up eight and five, but at one point they were five and five. So that little hot run at the end of 2019 maybe built up a good enough will for him to get to this point, but they're two and seven in their last nine. And if this continues, what reason is there to keep Justin Wilcox around? Yeah, yeah no, that's reasonable. And um, so <laughs> for uh, coming from Sharps College Football, the uh, week five Pac-12 raw points per drive. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. 
what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Colorado is averaging .7 points per drive, bro. While the, while the top of the conference is ASU at 2.9 points per drive last week. Shed it. That ain't good. But now on to the next game. You had uh, Washington at Oregon State. Washington looked to be doing some good things in the beginning of this game. I think they got up 10-0. But then they ended up down 14-10 at halftime. And then in the fourth quarter, they were up 24 to 17 after an Oregon State interception. And this was just a brutal display by Washington. You had Oregon State and Chance Nolan. He was seven for 15 for 48 yards and an interception. And. They ran for 50 times for 242 yards at 4.8 yards per carry. Ralph, they only threw for 48 yards, man. 48 yards. And you lose a football game. What the hell is happening? Because Washington, in the beginning of that game, they looked like, oh, yeah, yo, they've opened up the offense. They're throwing it around. And it's just not working out, dude. But but their leading rushers were Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant, which should make you happy. It would make me happy if it wasn't if, – if it didn't just remind me. Everything reminds me of the fact that they didn't play in the first two weeks. This is <laughs> but 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 the majority of Sean they were McGrew's, captains. They were both captains for this yeah. game, George. <laughs> and the funny part about it, dude, is that these dudes is that the majority of Sean McGrew's hundred yards came off of off of Wildcat football, which I, I, looked good. It looked good. I mean, you shouldn't have to rely on the Wildcat to get wins. It should just be part of your offense. But it looked good to me. Absolutely hate the Wildcat. Hate it. Hate it at all. Because there, there's like there's nothing you can do with your quarterback. You can't throw throw the ball, everything. It makes you clearly one-dimensional. And then being that they never hand the ball off, that he just keeps it every time, it's – it's going to run out of talent eventually. As soon as they play against a good defense, because Oregon State's defense is not even one of the better defenses in the conference. But Oregon State is leading this conference in scoring at 36 points a game. Um, and then they're giving up. Oh, actually, Oregon State's only get, giving up 21 points a game. So, hmm. 
The whole thing's confusing for me because they obviously went into this season wanting Richard Newton and Cameron Davis to be the guys, right? Richard Newton has been dressed out two weeks in a row, but they're they're kind of head faking. They're saying he's too banged up to play. So they put Cameron Davis in. Cameron Davis gets one carry, fumbles. Oregon State scores a touchdown on like the next play. And then Cameron Davis does not play for the rest of the game. And so the whole time I'm thinking, well, if you believed in him, why not put him back out there and help him regain his confidence? But also, why the hell was he out there in the first place when you could have just given the ball to Kamari Pleasant, who is at this point, George, averaging 6.2 yards a carry. He's averaging 6.2 yards a carry, 10 yards a reception. Or Sean McGrew, who has six touchdowns. He has three times as many touchdowns as the rest of your team as far as rushing combined. Kate Otten is banged up, so that's not good. Terrell Bynum has not been what you need him to be as far as a as far as a number one option. Dylan Morris is I don't know. Dylan Morris has a way of like completing a twenty yard pass when the game's nothing nothing with a completely clean pocket and having the announcers be like, What a gutsy throw by Dylan Morris. <laughs> like the, the expectations have gotten so low for him that if he does anything right, people are like, oh my goodness, Washington on the move. That's bad. That's the soft bigotry of low expectations. <laughs> raining the down soft on- bigotry? <laughs> I don't know, man. They walk around in those run the damn ball hats and it took them this long to figure out that sh- the, that the guys that were their best option out of the backfield – last year would continue to be that this year. The offensive line uh, was overhyped. The defense was overhyped. Um, it's not going to matter by the time they get Fatui back. Um, I don't know, dude. This is the, the secondary. The secondary was as advertised. <laughs> That's all I have to say about Washington. This isn't even like the third best secondary Washington has put together in the last four years. However, it is still very, very good, but if you're going to be able to get gashed in the running game by the least recruiting level talented team in the entire Pac-12, then I don't know what to say. They put the 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 fact that so what what did Washington do at the end of this game? They it was they were at midfield, yep, and they could have pinned Oregon State with like three minutes left. But instead, they went for it on fourth down, and they and gave, tried. No, well, well, they went for I think a wildcat first, and then they did a quarterback sneak, which they are typically very successful on quarterback sneaks. Like, but Chris, they were like three Chris yards Peterson. out with Dylan yeah. Morris, even though Sean McGrew had been getting them a bunch of yards in the wildcat. Yeah, I don't, I don't see what the problem is, Ralph. Why? Why is why is anybody upset or frustrated with with what happened? <laughs> I think that honestly, like I. I don't like to second guess people who do this for a living, but like punting in that situation would have been money because you have over three minutes left. You're playing the field position game and a safety would have won the game. I don't think Oregon state's marching a hundred yards in three minutes. You had held their quarterback to what? How many yeah, yards passing up to 48. that? Point? So they're going to have to go a hundred yards, not being able to throw the ball punt. Yeah. If, Oh, okay, I'm a not a huge believer in punting. Like, if if you were up five, right there, I'd probably go for it. 
But up seven, I punt right there probably. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, un- un- unless I'm very confident in my in my team's ability to pick it up. Um, all right, the next game up, you had UCLA at Arizona. I'm sorry, Arizona State at UCLA. Yeah. This was a game. This didn't go like I thought it was going to go. It was 23-24 to 24 at halftime, and then – Arizona State did not give up another point in the second half, rattled off 18. And like at the end of the day, Dorian Thompson Robinson did not play poorly. No, but but as we've seen with quarterbacks who get out there and they run for a lot of yards, yeah. it takes something from you. Mm-hmm. Be- because he looked like there were times that were he was like, okay. One, two, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi run. Like instead of, you know, passing the ball in some circumstances, like you have to think that some of those that windows were were open because he ended up with 19 carries, which is a lot. If you if you just go back in the history of dual threat quarterbacks in football and not run first Tommy Frazier option, guys, if you go back and look at the history of dual threat quarterbacks, you will often find any quarterback that ends up with a whole over a hundred yards rushing gases out isn't able to move the offense through traditional means because they took too many hits. They had to scramble too much. They're seeing ghosts. They're seeing extra defenders. They're a little bit antsy. They they're being told by their coach to settle down and not lean into the run, which is why Lamar Jackson is one of the most unique athletes we've ever seen at the quarterback position because Bobby Petrino is just like, hey, do whatever the hell you want. Like, go get it, you know? Yeah. So um, with with DTR, if that was going to be Chip Kelly's attitude of like, hey, you're getting yards with your legs, let's just do it every single time. They lined up in the weirdest formation I've ever seen and ran a quarterback draw up the middle. They had um, three offensive linemen and then two split out with receivers in trips on both sides. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson snapped the ball and ran up the middle in this weird formation for a 35-yard gain. And that was a com- that was really a commitment to it, right? But yeah. then in the end, it's like, okay, well, we're down. We need to make this up in the passing game. Dorian Robin- Thompson-Robinson's taking a bunch of hits. And it's just – that to me, what happened with him is a tale as old as time. He played well, but he gassed out with all these little runs that didn't really result in too many points for them. The score was 42-23, to 23, but it is feasible – that this game could have been 56 to 17 mm. because not only did Arizona state leave points on the table, they gave UCLA two field goals, just handed them two field goals through a muffed punt return and another mistake. So this was a, bl- this was a blowout and you still didn't really see Arizona state fully running on all cylinders because Arizona state didn't have Johnny Wilson um, Tyler Johnson wasn't fully healthy. Uh, they didn't have their leading tackler in Evan Fields. So yeah. all of a sudden, Arizona State comes into the game missing a bunch of people, and they still did this to UCLA at the Rose Bowl. And uh, UCLA's defensive backs are not that good um, comparatively. Um, they're better than me, obviously. But um, Ricky Pearsall had a day. <laughs> they got tore up by Ricky Pearsall, and that is um, that is humbling for sure. Oh, yeah, that is more than humbling. 
Um, and but I also I have not seen one person out there say that this gave them a- any extra faith in Arizona State to continue to do what they're capable of. And you yourself, George, told me you needed to see them beat somebody that mattered. Yeah. Where is your head at now? Uh, I'm still I'm still un, uh, unsure because I've I felt more unsure about USC. I'm sorry about UCLA after this game than I felt confident about. ASU because UCLA has the third worst pass defense in the country. They are at, they are giving up an average of 321 yards per game. And, and Arizona state's pass defense is giving up a buck 46 a game, but like their, their schedule hasn't been like great, but I am, I believe in this team much, much more in Arizona state than I, than I did. And now I think that they are capable of going 10 and two. I think they have three of the top 15 running backs in the conference and they're all getting carries. And then you throw Jaden Daniels and the fact that he's already got 300 yards rushing in on top of that, George, they got 16 rushing touchdowns. Yeah. No, that's a lot. Like they are very, very committed to running the ball and they have Stanford next. And that could be the difference for them. They've got players on defense who are just old. I think that has a lot to do with it. Like Kyle Soley is a redshirt junior in his fourth year. Darian Butler is a redshirt senior or something like that in his fourth or fifth year. Merlin Robinson is in his uh, fourth year. DeAndre Pierce is in his fifth or sixth year. DJ Davidson is finished high school in 2016 and he's still like a junior Evan Fields is in his fourth or fifth year that like the guys that are on the chase Lucas is a five-year starter Tyler Johnson is in his fifth year they're just very old on defense um with some young talent mixed in and offensively if they're going to have a guy like Ricky Pierce all show up and be able to like dominate at, at, at the receiver position it's a big that's a big yikes for for everybody else in the conference to have to um, to have to deal with them, and they also their leading receiver is still Rashad White. Yeah, for the second year in a row, their leading receiver is is Rashad White. So, um, I don't know, man. I, I think that uh, I think if they don't beat themselves, the path forward is n- not filled with a ton of a ton of resistance. On the other hand, I think that uh, that UCLA is probably they're in a position where you know. I think going 500 the rest of the way would be a pretty good season for them. Yep. Yeah, I I can agree with that. Do you think Do you think that with all of the teams talking about possibly making a change at at head coach that UCLA fans would be able to stomach a seven to eight win season? Yes. Yeah. I I, I still have them winning eight games on the minimum. On the minimum, I, I think that they ultimately get to nine wins, but. That only leaves one one win, one loss left. Do you think that the losses take Dorian Thompson Robinson out of the contention for Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, even though he's pretty much playing perfect football? No, 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 no. I don't no. either. I think I think I think he's probably the maybe the clubhouse well, leader for the there, award. There's no quarterback who's been outstanding enough. There's no yeah. running back who's running away with with it. I think as we get deeper into Pac-12 play, that will reveal itself. Um, all right, now it's time for our Pac-12 power rankings. 
and we go 12 to 7 and then 1 to 6. Um, Ralph, who do you have from your 12 to 7 this week? Arizona and Colorado at the bottom. They shouldn't even be part of this. Um, Cal at 10, Washington at 9, Washington State at 8, and Utah at 7. Bro, we are – our rankings are very similar. I am exactly the same as you. Um, really? I, so what's your justification for Washington State over Washington? Uh, that when that when Washington State has had Jaden Delora at quarterback, they've won football games. Yeah. Like that, well, that's my that, – that they didn't have them against Utah. So – and they didn't have him for pretty much all of the USC game. So what what am I supposed to uh, to make of that? You know what I mean? And yep. then um, and then Washington, dude, they've lost to Montana, Michigan, and Oregon State. Like what? Like what yeah, am- Montana lost to Eastern Washington. By the way, I don't know if you saw that game. So yeah, now they've now lost to a Big Sky team that lost to another Big Sky team. Yeah, what 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 am I supposed to make of that? So, uh, so that's why. So we are exactly the same there. Um, and then who do you have six to one? USC at six, Stanford at five, which is the iffiest one for me because obviously a win over Oregon is a really big deal. Um, UCLA at four, Oregon State at three, Arizona State at two. And then despite being the number three team in the nation, I still have Oregon as the number one team in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, all right. Close, Ralph. You were close to right on this one. Um, I have USC at six. So you so like 12 through. And then I have Stanford at five. Bro, you were great from seven to 12. One hundred percent spot on. And I don't think that there's a whole lot of debate where 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 people can even argue about it because uh, Arizona and Colorado those are, are you going to argue about who's eleven or twelve? And then Cal's record has shown that they are tenth best. Washington's is their inconsistency. They're two and three right right now. Washington State when they've had Jaden Delora has been well and they've played. And they've well. led in the second half of all five games. Yeah, and Utah. They just don't have a quarterback. USC has been a rocky road. Stanford, who who the hell knows? But they beat USC, so they're above them. And then I have UCLA at four because they just lost to the team at three, who is Arizona State. And then I have Oregon State at two because they their dominance on the way that they're running the football is incredible. And Oregon and Oregon at one. So you have Oregon State above Arizona State because their dominance running the football. Yeah, and and, and because like it, I think it's going to be tougher for people to be, beat them, and they have put beatdowns on people too. Like, and, and I, I don't, mean, think I, I don't that, know if you just saw this, but there's a th- three touchdown win over your number four team by your number three team. Meanwhile, Oregon State needed the last drive of the game to beat your number nine team at home. So I don't know what you're talking about dominating. I don't know what you're talking about running game either. How are you going to say that 
that Oregon State's running game is better than ASU's? Uh, it is. By what metric? Okay. By by the metric of Oregon State is rushing for 229 yards a game. Okay. Arizona State's rushing for 204. Okay, so that 20-some yards, that that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? And and Oregon State's only loss, right, is when Chance Nolan wasn't their quarterback. Arizona State's only loss is when they decided they wanted all the flags. Oh, I don't, I don't, I listen, listen, I can't. To the number, to the, and I don't believe this is coming out of my mouth, to the number 10 team in the country. Why don't you look up how Purdue's doing right now? Bro, listen, Chance Nolan was not their quarterback. So, okay. All right. All right. I'll give you this. I'll give you this 24 more rushing yards a game. What about passing yards a game? Where are we at? Oh, we're it's it's not um, okay. Pass yards. I don't know if you just saw if Jaden Daniels had ever put up a sixty-yard passing game. Oregon State is two hundred seven. Arizona State is two thirty-nine. All right, so so then we're even. So thirty-two more yards. All right. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick. And hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, and the and the difference is one of these teams lost to the number ten team. I can't say it with a straight face. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny. BYU is not. Oh, gosh. Hey, they they have earned that to this to this point. Um, <laughs> Did they? <laughs> all right. So n- n- now though, there's a 
countdown on Nick Rolovich because on this vaccine situation, so Oregon State, I'm sorry, Washington State, who is playing well, they may lose their head coach. Do you think that he will get vaccinated or he will get fired or suspended? Or like, do you expect him to be coaching the team after next weekend? Um, so Governor Inslee would have to basically like instruct the university president to fire Nick Rolovich, right? Like that, yeah. that would be, um, for missing the deadline. He is either going to have to take the Johnson and Johnson shot today, um, to be considered to be fully vaccinated two weeks from now. Uh, if he hasn't already taken one shot of Pfizer or Moderna. Or we're just going to have to assume that maybe he got a religious exemption because I'm assuming there's a process to apply for that. Um, I don't know if we're going to know. Yeah. He's if Nick Rolovich says that he's going to fire them or that he's going to follow the mandate. But what he means is he's going to call their bluff. Is that the same? Yes. Well, actually, no. No, he's he's been vague on this intentionally. And there have been behind the scenes conversations. Okay, so we're just not we're just not going to know. We're not going to know. Because if the application for the exemption goes beyond the date and it gets denied, so the the application for the exemption would have had to be addressed by today. Yeah. If he's going to be able to meet the deadline. And I doubt that there would be very many more priorities than for people to process an application for an exemption and adjudicate that whole process by the deadline that he would need to be, to be vaccinated if he's the highest paid state employee. Exactly. I don't think he would get caught up in the bureaucracy. So if he is still the coach two weeks from now, then we are going to have to assume he got vaccinated. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that. Or we have to assume he got an exemption. Either way, we have to assume the only way we're going to know if he didn't do what he was supposed to is if he gets fired. And if he gets fired, then you have to wonder if he's ever going to coach again. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be hard because it's going to be hard to get hired anywhere at that point. Um, all right. So now the week six preview this week, we have some, some more matchups that may destroy the conference in terms of, you know, who is playing and who's not and who's winning and who goes to bowl games and all of that. But this week you have Oregon is off. Yeah. Oregon is off. Who else? Cal is off. Colorado is off. And Utah. Nope. I don't always do that. Utah Utah is playing. Yeah. So Oregon, Colorado. Cal. Cal. Can you get it? Can I get it? All right. Oh, and Washington. There you go. Yeah, and Washington are all off this this week. So that's good news for the conference. But the first game up is on Friday. Friday night games we already talked about that we hate. Um, Stanford at Arizona State on Friday night. Who you got, Ralph? And what's the spread? So the Stanford uh, spread might surprise some people because 
They obviously just beat the number three team in the country. Uh, and Arizona State had to play the late game uh, with a short turnaround. It's actually Arizona State minus 11 and a half. Oh, give, give me Stanford, bro. I could not scream this louder from the mountaintops. All right. I'm assuming you like the the over uh, of 51 and a half as well. Yes. I'm a little shaky on the over because sometimes weeknight games are just poorly executed. And I, I don't want to remember the last time that ASU played Stanford on a Friday night and Manny Wilkins made some really terrible decisions trying to tie that game up late. I feel like that was a really low scoring mess. Um, however, I think that if Stanford's biggest weakness is being able to stop the run and Arizona State doesn't have to worry about Bryson Tremaine, then yeah. this might be a recipe for a blowout. So I'm going to go ahead and ride with ASU minus 11 and a half. I will also take the over. Mm. That is that is a- ambitious, buddy. That is absolutely ambitious. And we, we will see who's right. Um, all right. The next actually. So how do you see this game playing playing out, though? Um, I see, I think I see Stanford trying to establish the run, which they're one of the worst running teams in the conference. They're only averaging like 117 points per game, but they got to do it. They got to do it or else, or else ASU is going to, going to bring the noise. Antonio Pierce is going to, is going to try to blitz the hell out of Tanner McKee just because that, that hasn't happened yet. I don't feel like anybody's tried to really get after Tanner McKee to see what he's made of, like really get after him. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Arizona state's an interesting team though, George, because how many times have this year, have they buckled down in the second half, shut everyone down? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they definitely have. And Stanford got obliterated in the second half against Oregon. So you have to wonder if that's even, you know, like I don't know about this Stanford offense. I think that they are that they don't get called enough for OPI on those jump balls. But yeah. you know that's it's like the annexation of Puerto Rico. <laughs> there were a couple of games this year where I was like, "Oh man, without Bryson Tremaine, they'd be in deep shit." And now I don't. I don't think you can fix somebody's foot falling off oh dude i forgot about i forgot about that dude i forgot about bryson tremaine never mind i'm going to take arizona state oh you're flipping your pick yes i'm flipping my pick you you just gave me the secret sauce buddy now i don't think we have a single difference in any of our picks this week (laughs) Um, We're, we're a ride together die together all right, bad boys for life. All right, the the next game up is on Saturday, Oregon State at Washington State. In Pullman, Oregon State only favored by three and a half, which if you get, you know, so if you figure it's the three-point hometown bump, then they'd figure maybe Oregon State's a touchdown favorite. So three and a half, I expect a bunch of money to be on Oregon State after what they did to Washington, but we'll see. Uh, and the over-under is 59. All right. Give me Oregon State and give me the under. Same Z's. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm yeah, with you. I, I think they're going to run the, run the football. The game's going to be short. Washington State's defense is pretty good, um, but their offense doesn't seem to be – I mean, like, th- they're going to have some turnovers. And – Oregon State will be able to capitalize on some of those, which will, you know, but then won't score and all of that. So give me 
Oregon State. Yeah, and that under as well. All right, next up, we've got uh, the <laughs> the the uh, the immovable object versus the unstoppable force, um, which I guess the immo- the the immovable object would be Utah's inability to um, win in Los Angeles, and the unstoppable force would be USC's determination to uh, underplay their talent. <laughs> they they so, are good at that. Yeah, we got USC favored by three points at home, which, oh my God, <laughs> it's a shame. And the over-under is 52 and a half. Mm, give me... Give me USC. Only because... USC to cover plus the over in this game because USC... They are like they're going to be able to score some points, even though Utah is going to make this a dogfight. But Utah's running game is just okay. They're uh, they're and they don't pass the ball at a high level either. So that gives me pause, and I don't think they can score enough points to beat them. Utah is the second worst passing team in the conference. They're averaging a two hundred passing yards per game. Where, oh, damn, Colorado is averaging under 100 passing yards per game, like right at 100, basically. Is that bad? (laughs) (laughs) Is that bad? Yeah, especially when your pass defense is bad, too. Um, But you have USC, which is clearly the best pass offense in the the, uh, conference. But hmm, I'm going to go with... Oh, and then Utah, in terms of running the football, they are at 100. They are eighth in the conference at a buck 65 a game, which is okay. It's not near the top. It's okay. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, the Oh, wait, Utah- wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. The, that, that was total rushing yards. They are um, – but they've only played four games, so they are – Fourth in the conference in no, sorry, fifth in the conference in yards per game, rush yards per game. Okay, well, uh, to me it doesn't matter because since joining the Pac-12, the thing that Utah has struggled with the most is figuring out the air raid. They're very inconsistent with it from year to year. Uh, they also are terrible in Los Angeles, but then you have to factor in the fact that USC's consistency is non-existent, and Kyle Whittingham has had two weeks to prepare for this game. So I think it'll be close. I think that I like that they set the spread um, right right where they did, but I do think most of the money is going to be on USC. And I'm with you. I will take USC minus three and the over. Mm, that's not bad, bro. That is not bad at all. Um, all right. And the last game up, we have UCLA at Arizona. What's the line on this game? The line on this game is UCLA minus 16. I think it might have started at 17 and a half, and the over-under is 61. Hmm. Give me UCLA because Arizona is going to throw interceptions, even though UCLA is the third-worst pass defense in the country, averaging giving up over 300 pass yards a game. Um. Yeah, but Arizona just can't get right right now. Even though they just came off of an off week, they should be better technically. But yeah, g- give me UCLA and give me the over. 
I am going to take the under because I do not think that University of Arizona I, – I still – I don't know what it is, but I've actually listened to a couple of people talk about this game, and there's actually a few people that are saying Arizona's going to cover or maybe even win. No, they're not. They're not good. They're not good up front offensively. They're not good up front defensively. They're barely average in the secondary. They don't have all of their receiving threats back. They can't run the ball, and they turn the ball over on offense. Even if they improve, they'll go from being putrid to bad. There's no way. So I'm rolling with UCLA, but I don't like the over because I don't think Arizona's going to score a whole bunch of points. Mm. Mm. All right. That's reasonable. All right. Well, those are the picks for the week. And the last thing that we have up is the USC Survivor Series at court at <laughs> for head coach. Um we have already eliminated, and if you guys go to unafraidshow.com, Ralph wrote a nice article about who is in contention for for this, and uh, we have already eliminated Dante Williams, their current interim head coach, Mario Cristobal. We eliminated uh, PJ Fleck last week, right? Yeah. Uh, is yeah. Lane... And so right now we still have, oh, uh, we, we still have um, James Franklin from Penn State, Joe Brady, uh, Carolina Panthers OC, Lane Kiffin, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, Billy Napier from Louisiana, Chris Peterson, Bob Stoops, Matt Campbell from Iowa State, but I think we can eliminate. Should, should we eliminate Mike, Matt Campbell because it's yeah, really bad, I, or do you think that that people would would say, well, it's just because of the situation? I uh, know. I think I I would eliminate Matt Campbell just because I think he's going to be at Iowa State for the next fifteen years. But um, I, they they won big this last weekend. I you know okay. I don't think anybody would be overly excited, okay. but I I wouldn't I wouldn't. Um, I, I would think that Iowa State's going to lock him up for a long time. He's perfect for them. Okay. Uh, Bill O'Brien, Alabama OC, is still on there. And so is Tony. Oh, no, but we eliminated Tony Elliott, Clemson's OC, because uh, it'd be weird to get fired. And then, well, actually, no, they did hire, they did do that with Cliff Kingsbury. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it would be like hiring the guy who's in charge of making sure there's no oil spills on the West Coast. Like, but there's oil spills. <laughs> like, you're not the one thing that you, your one job, and and Clemson's not scoring. So, yeah, I don't and feel like. I, and I think we have to put Marcus Freeman on there too, the defensive coordinator from Notre Dame, who was at Cincinnati as well. All right. Um. Yeah. So, oh, and Urban Meyer, he was still on the list. Can we can we take Urban Meyer off the list now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We can take Urban Meyer off the list. Yes. Carol Folt wasn't going to hire him already. She's damn sure not going to hire him now, right? Why would he do? Exactly. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys. Is, you can't can't quite put my finger on what he, why he said that. Oh, you oh, oh you can't put your finger on it. All right. No. Uh, all right, you you guys. This is the Pac-12 Apostles. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden. Peace out. Catch you guys later. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is 
finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.